1: Ever so much. So here we are, TED Talk Sunday. TED Talk Sunday began its life. Um. Ah, oh, it'd be great if I could have my slides. That would be really brilliant. Here we go. Okay, TED Talk Sunday began its life uh, in cracking communication. And once a month on a Sunday morning before uh, our celebration, uh, a number of us, and you're all invited, spend some time thinking about different ways that we communicate and how we can hone our communication skills. Uh, One of the things that we have particularly noticed and appreciated, that a picture paints a thousand words. Let me show you what I mean. Nothing more can be added to a picture as powerful and as detailed and as comprehensive as that. And if you're bemused and don't get it, well you just don't get it. And I think you're beyond help. In in cracking communication, it, it came out of this this kind of this this deep sense within me and within us that wherever you break us open as a community. We need to see discipleship at work. That we need to be passing on everything that God has given us. That if you have a talent, simply keeping it safe is not good enough. In the kingdom, we need to multiply it. The, the, the man who kept the talent safe, he dug a hole and put it in the ground and said, Look, I've kept it safe. I've still got it. I'm still good at it. It's still here, but I haven't multiplied it. Didn't get a very good hearing in the kingdom of God. And so whether it be leading a service, releasing service hosts, whether it be multiplying communities, whether it be others getting alongside to serve coffee, whether it be in preaching God's word, we need to be passing on the things that God has placed with in us. And at the heart of that is, uh, at heart of that is what cracking communication is all about. And we've had some absolutely brilliant mornings When we've simply shared with one another something from God's word, something of God's work in our life, something that we believe is valuable in God's kingdom to us. And they've been incredibly powerful moments. There have been times when I've said to them, I'm ready to go home now because I've been fed by God's word through our conversation. And so TED Talk Sunday is a way of us saying we want to open up that conversation and let everyone benefit from that richness of feasting on God's Word that we've experienced and to create opportunity for us to develop and hone our skills and pass things on. So Simon Koshert, Joel Harris, and Hannah Harper are going to speak. Let's do that again. Who was whooping there? Who was in the whoop mood? Uh, That's Simon Koshert, Joel Harris, and Hannah Harper... Uh, are all going to share from the story of the prodigal son. They're going to speak for about seven or eight minutes, and then we're going to have one minute of absolute silence, no comment. I'm going to try and do that. One minute with nothing, then the next person, then the next person. And we're going to allow God to speak into our hearts through the richness of hearing God's word, through their voices, their personalities, their experiences, their reflections. So, Father, as we come to your word now, Help us all, in the name of Jesus, to hear what you are saying and to align our lives with obedience to go do something about it. In Jesus' name, amen.
2: Simon. It's very fitting to uh, have the song Reckless Love just before this parable. The story that Jesus tells is significant to me. The Bible is called the Parable of the Lost Son. I prefer that story for a long time. In November 2012, my youngest son, Mark, and I decided to take part in National Novel Writing Month. So I scrambled around looking for a plot and decided to use the outline of Jesus. And even today it is. Stories then were told in a lot of fashions and parties. Sometimes they were told just for entertainment and other times they were teaching stories. Jesus' ministry consisted of healings, miracles, and storytelling. But he wasn't a showman. Instead, he was motivated out of his love to do it. Today, our stories are lavish, and on television or film, and a lot of the imagining is done for us. Jesus' teaching stories had a point, but he didn't explain the point very much. You were supposed to be capable of finding the point for yourself and of using your imagination to place yourself within the story. So here is what I think about the story. There are three main characters. I identify with the lost son myself. So to me, he is the most interesting character. He wants something. He is restless. He thinks money will give him the answer. So he comes up with his plan to ask his dad for his inheritance early. He believes having and spending money is going to make him happy. And even while he is spending it all and drinking it all, he feels empty. He ends up penniless and living with the pigs. It is only then that he discovers that he has been wrong about what he needs for his life. In his despair, he realises that in running away and with spending his money, he hasn't built any relationships and he has separated himself from his father. Maybe he tried to buy friendships and discovered that his boozing and carousing companions were only interested in him for his wealth. Anyway, it is in that moment when he hits rock bottom and living alone tending pigs that he comes to his senses And then he realises it would be better to be a servant in his father's house than to continue as he was doing. So for me, it is a story about discovery. The youngest son discovers his need for the father. It isn't so much as a need for his father's wealth or his lifestyle as the discovery that he needs to be in a relationship with his father. He says to himself... Even to live as a servant in, in this family is better than living separated from it. What Jesus wants us to understand is that the Father represents God in this story. It is one of his parables where he wants us to learn about the nature of God. The story is chapter 15 of Luke's Gospel. At the start, Jesus is among the tax collectors and the sinners. It says they were all gathering around to hear him. It appears that they are at a feast, and he starts storytelling. He tells three stories. Each has lost in the title. The lost sheep, the lost coin, the lost son. But the sheep is found, the coin is found, and the lost son is found. It turns out that what appears to be lost is found. I identify with the story because I have discovered my need for God. I follow Jesus because I have also found that my true wealth is not in things, not in having and holding material possessions, no no matter how rich I become, and I'm not showing any signs of becoming rich, no matter how many possessions I own, these are not the things that define me. What defines me as a person is the quality of my relationships that I am capable of sustaining. As a lost son who has been found, I learn from the love of the Father. The only way I can learn from him is through proximity, through being near to him. That is what the lost son learns. If I go back to the Father, he will accept me, and he will bless me. When we become separated from God, We need to know that God will still have us back. That is what Jesus wants us to get from this story. The lost son has to start start for home, towards home, start back towards his father, to learn from his father and experience his father's love. And to do that, he needs to be in the same household. If we are feeling empty, we have to know that we can turn back and go home and God will still accept us. The son says, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. Even more is told to us about the nature of God. We learn that the father is the, in the story goes beyond what we might expect from a human heart. We heard that when the son was still a long way off, he saw him. God sees us as we turn back to him and makes it possible by sending people or even angels to help us. God wants us to accept what he is offering. Everything I have is yours, is what the father says to the older son at the end, and I believe that he would say it to each of us today.
3: Amazing, right? Well, so I just get set up, turn to your neighbour and say one thing you going to take from Simon's talk. Do not know. Amazing. So, I've been in church for 18 years, and this is the most popular story I get told at kids camp, everything. So I feel whenever I hear this story, badly of me, I tune out. Because I'm like, I know everything about this story. There's nothing I don't know. I'm amazing. But I was reading this, and God showed me I wasn't. Um, and he showed me something, what I've never seen before. And it's in verse 25 to 27. So I'm just going to read it. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard the music and the dancing. This is the important part. So he called one of the servants and asked him, What's going on? Your brother has come, he replied. And your father has killed the fattened calf because he has them back safe and sound. Has anyone ever Googled their illness? It's like, you know you're ill, you have a cough, your stomach hurts, you think the most rational thing to do is Google it. So you get your laptop up, you Google away, and there's like a few minor illnesses, then there's hundreds and hundreds of life-threatening illnesses. All rationale goes out the window. You're like, right! I'm going to die. You start writing your will because you're going to die. And you get stressed. You get shaken. At this point, you don't know what to do. So you book an emergency appointment. You walk into the doctor's appointment, all shaken. And you start telling the doctor, the person with a medical degree, what's wrong with you. You're like, I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And you're stressing. I did this the other week. It wasn't good. And then they go to you. You're just tired. Go home. And you walk out of the doctors, tail between your legs, head down, feeling full of shame. Because you went to Google was something unreliable before you went to the professional. We can waste so much time and effort on worrying about stuff, what's actually nothing, because we went to the wrong place to find answers. This is what's happening in the verse we read. So, the older brother, he's working in the fields all day. He's tired. He comes home. He sees a lit party over there. He's like, oh, what's going on? And instead of asking the father who understands the party, who's running the party, he calls a servant over. And on that point, the servant would be seen as low than him, lower class. They wouldn't be seen on the same level. So he calls a servant over, and he asks the servant, what's going on? And the servant gives him an answer, and the son gets angry. Because the servant gives them a perspective, what the son isn't good for, what the son doesn't get, because they're not on the same level. If we skip ahead on the story, we see that the father gives a perspective as well of what's going on. The servant has given an earthly perspective, and the father gives a heavenly perspective. The father says, My son, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad. Because this brother of yours was dead and now he is alive. He was lost and now he is found. The father gives the information in the perspective the son gets, because the father knows the son's heart. The servant didn't, and the father did. The servant gives an earthly perspective, the father gives a heavenly perspective. So first point, if you're writing notes. Where are you getting your perspective from? Who are you listening to right now? What voices are in your head? When we face new, different or even difficult challenges, who do we go to? Do we go to our friends? Do we go to our family? Do we go to Facebook? Twitter? There's nothing wrong with any of these. But is heaven's voice the loudest voice we hear? are we seeking a heavenly perspective or are we seeking to gain a heavenly perspective from everywhere else apart from heaven itself? So maybe you've lost your job and you start asking everyone, why, why have I lost my job? Some people will be like, maybe it wasn't the right fit. Someone else will be like, what did you do wrong? And you start to get annoyed, you start to get hurt, your identity gets hurt because they're saying what you've done, why you've lost your job, why you've been fired. But if you've gone to God first... God might have said, I've taken you out of that job, and you have to trust me. I'm making you free to prepare you for something that's just around the corner. Something that's greater than anything you've done before. But you just need to have faith. So first of all, where are we getting our perspective from? Secondly, is there a perspective on my life that God's is, God is showing me what I am not seeing? When we seek others to validate and answer things that are going wrong with our lives, we get an earthly perspective quite like the story. We as humans, we live in a linear narrative. That means we can only see straightforward, we can't see the full picture. We have a very limited point of view. So when we ask someone else who's also a human, why is this going wrong? They give a very limited answer because they can't see the full picture. Not only that... They'll give an earthly perspective, but an earthly perspective is what you're doing, what you have or what you haven't done. But when we ask God what he's going to do, we get a heavenly perspective. A perspective is about him and what he is doing. Do you see what's changed there? It's not about what you are doing or not doing. It's about what God is doing. It takes the pressure off you. We see this in the Bible a few times. In 1 Peter 5, 7, it says cast all your anxieties onto him because he cares for you it doesn't say cast all your anxieties onto bill down at the pub <laughs> it says cast all your anxieties onto god it also says throughout the bible that god is all knowing he can see the whole perspective so when we when we ask him what he's doing he'll tell us what he's doing and he'll tell us the full picture See, it's what God thinks that matters, not Bill. Sorry if your name is Bill. God and the Bible need to become our first response to every situation, not our third or fourth. Imagine how much peace, love, and security we'd have if we switch up our response time. So my final thought. What is your response time? How long does it take in any situation to seek God's perspective? Some of you remember Bob and Martin Jews. His job was a sea king helicopter pilot. So they get a call in, they get in the helicopter as fast as, as, as they can to go and help someone. One day we were around there, he showed us all on the helicopter around the warehouse. It was awesome, Everyone's having a good time. And suddenly we hear... And you're like, what's going on? It's like a movie. People are running in all different directions, getting dressed, putting boots on, helicopters start going, and in less than seven minutes, they were in the air going to save someone. Imagine what it would be like if it wasn't the experts in the warehouse Bills was us out of church. I'm looking here. I don't think we'd get up in the air, to be honest. I don't think our response time would be anywhere near seven minutes. So the question today is when something goes wrong in our lives, which of the two response times does our response time look like? Are we straight away picking up the Bible, talking to God? Or are we more like the older brother, asking everyone else why something's going on, and stressing out, whereas in fact, we just need to ask God? If that's you, let's try and show on this response time. Here's a few ways. Firstly, firstly, Every time you send that text or you open your mouth asking a friend why this is going on in your life, think, is that going to help me gain God's perspective or not? This will take time to become a habit because for some of us, we love to tell everyone about our problems and we don't like to talk to God. So that's going to be hard. Because of that, we need to have someone to hold you accountable. Leads me to a second point. In your community, in your small group, ask them to hold you accountable. Let this be a phrase in every situation, that whenever you say something, their first response be, what is God saying? This should be something regularly happening in our communities to change our way of thinking and responding to life's problems. When we think about the older son, we are reminded how important it is to get our perspective from the right place and to that quickly. So my question for you today is, is heaven's voice the loudest voice you hear?
0: Hi Hello hello so in case you don 't know who I am I have a six year old daughter called Amber, and if you 've met her, you will know she is fifty percent joy and fif- don 't be fooled by that face um, and we came to Burlington about six years ago. I was a mess my marriage had just ended very suddenly, and I was in a state of deep grief and I have to say a big thank you, really, because you guys just chucked me over your shoulder and dragged me through that first year. Um, And in the end, God turned it into something I think is quite beautiful, Um, a promise to me. In these five minutes, I want to ask the question that we've often thought we've never really wanted to say. It comes out of the place of brokenness when you're feeling like all doesn't come back. From this place, God has spoken um, three things to me, and not just spoken them, I've lived them, and they're the things I want to share with you this morning. First up, you are not the father in this story. God is the father in the story. Simon's already addressed that this morning. We often picture ourselves as the father though, don't we? We picture ourselves um, as the one on the doorstep looking out for the prodigal, willing him to come home, slaughtering the cow. Um, But actually that's the job of our father. He's the one who's given everything and it was never our burden to carry. It was his possessions that were given away. Their salvation is not dependent on us. The prodigal's salvation is not dependent on us. When my ex-husband left, I felt completely helpless. He had moved so far away. There was nothing I could do. I couldn't meddle anymore. We've all got a friend, haven't we? Somebody that's broken, somebody that's hurting, somebody that we will to see come to know God for themselves, somebody to come back into relationship with Jesus. And our intentions are always good. But our desire to meddle usually takes over. We want to fix it. So we might send them a Bible verse, or we send them the morning text, Hey, just thinking about you, P.S. John 3 verse 16. Or uh, we put like a worship video on our Facebook page, hashtag giving life, and then looking to see if they've liked it. And none of these things per se are bad things. We want to love that person. We want to encourage them. (laughs) But are we trying to play God when he hasn't asked us to? Have we stopped and asked him, God, what do you want my role to be in this person's life? Sometimes that's already been taken out of our hands. My ex-husband had been taken out of my hands. There was nothing I could do. But whether they are still in your life or not, is God asking you to surrender that person today? Revelation 3 verse 20 says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and they with me. God is knocking, whether they're listening or not, he is knocking, even if we don't see it. With Max husband out of the country, um, I couldn't be sure that God was doing anything. In fact, I talked to God a lot about this, um, because I wasn't convinced. Um, but over the past six years, there's probably only been three occasions when God has shown me that he was knocking, even when I couldn't see it. The first, um, he was sat next to a Mormon at work, and he announced to me one day that this Mormon just kept talking about his faith all day. Really annoying, apparently. The second one was uh, he had got a new neighbor, he announced to me, and um, his neighbor happened to go to Rick Warren's church, and Rick Warren wrote A Purpose-Driven Life, if you don't know, and had invited him along. Again, just a tiny thing. But the final thing, the third thing, the thing that really floored me was one morning I woke up to an email from him to say he had woken up in the night and he had had a vivid dream of being left by somebody that he loved and the feeling of grief within him and deep pain was so immense that he couldn't go back up to sleep. I had a totally heartfelt apology from him that morning. I am more convinced than ever that God pursues his prodigals in a way that I will never know or could ever fathom. I'm going to say that again. I am more convinced than ever that God pursues his prodigals in a way that I will never know or could ever fathom. And I think that's the truth that some of us need to hear this morning. So if we're not the father, and if you're here, there's a good chance you're not the prodigal, then who are you? Well, you are, in fact, the brother And no one wants to be the brother, do they? I mean, he doesn't really come off well in the story. We wouldn't really pick that. But there's so much that we can learn from him. And I'm just going to take one this morning. And that is that you've got your own job to do. About the brother, it says, All these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. The father still had work for the brother to do. When I moved back here, I met single mums from day one. In Sheffield, for 10 years, I met one single mum. I moved back here, I couldn't go to Sainsbury's, soft play toddler groups. I always met a single mum, and they usually had a similar story to mine. But what had I got to share with these women? I was maybe six months in, a year in, I was broken. I mean, I was a wreck, like I hadn't got anything. But God could see my heart. And I would share my story and the little bit that God had done so far. And I was able to give them hope, even if it was just as small as a mustard seed. 2 Corinthians 1, verse 3 to 4 says this, and I love it. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. The God of all comfort who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves receive from God. God takes the little that you have, And he uses it in such a beautiful way. God, What is God asking you to do right now in the place that you're in? Keep your eyes and your heart open. Finally, my final point is take heart. The real issue with the brother is that he doesn't have the heart of the father. He's frustrated, he's bitter, and actually, if we're honest with ourselves, we can kind of understand why. So how do we not get bitter? Well, for me, anger came pretty late in my journey of loss. I didn't want to forgive. Why should I? I'd been wronged. I was still being wronged. And as time went by, I would remember more and more injustices from the past. It became like a poison that was sweeping through my body and my mind. I was pretty bitter. At some point, we're all going to be wronged by somebody, be let down, feel used, and we have a choice. Our choice is to hold on to the injustice or to forgive. There's two. I've explored it. I promise you there's just two options. Neither of those options will hugely affect the person that has caused you the grievance, but both will change your life forever. We have a choice to hold on to the injustice or to forgive. Neither will hugely affect the person who has caused the grievance, but both will change your life forever. I remember going to visit a friend and I was recounting to her all of the wrongs that had happened to me and ultimately how terrible I felt in the middle of it all. And I left her house and I got into my car and something in me snapped and I said, God, it's now or never. And in the 10-minute car journey to my parents' house, I listed off every injustice, every wrong I could think of, starting with, God, I forgive him for this, And I arrived at my parents' house with a tear-stained face, but with a feeling of freedom I had not had in several years. So what do I want you to take away from today? When it looks like all hope is lost, and your prodigal is gone for good, remember, God is working in the unseen. You can never love that person as much as God loves them, and he will not give up until their final breath. Ask God what role he wants you to take during this time of waiting. And finally, keep your heart in check, remembering to crawl back onto your daddy's lap and listen to his voice and ask him to reveal to you again his heart. And one day, no matter what happens, there will be a massive party.
1: So good, hey? So good. Now the, the, the tough bit, the hard bit, the real work now is ours. Uh, they did the work, sweating over it. Uh, the real work is ours. What is God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? That's the real work. That's the work that takes the change, the transformation that they've talked about, become a reality in our experience. What is God saying? And what am I going to do about it? Let's be quiet as the band comes up and just mull those questions in our, in our minds and in our hearts. What's God saying? What, what is it that really connects with me this morning? I, I loved what Simon said about the, the lost son learns proximity. You cannot live the way you are meant to live outside of the father's household. I love that penetrating question of Joel's. Am I hearing heaven's voice first? And I love that confidence from Hannah that I'm more convinced than ever that God pursues the prodigals more than I ever could or will ever know. What's God saying to me? And what am I going to do about it? Let's stand and sing together.